Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. The picture in Peter in the Psalms and that given by Jesus that I talked about last week and I'd like to continue is that humans were made as Peter says here in 2 Peter to be partakers of the divine nature there is a word for that and I'd like you to remember this word it may be new for you it's the word theosis Uh, I think it's a good word that describes then this New Testament understanding so I'm going to explain that As Jesus says, he says, you are gods. And the idea is that we were made for divine participation and responsibility. And that's what's brought out here in 2 Peter. Let's read verses 2 to 4 in chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And so in the early church, taking passages like this, The process of salvation was called theosis or divinization. And the idea being, as Peter says, that we become partakers of the divine nature. As we saw last week in describing this process, you know, in John 10, that Jesus quoting Psalms 82 says, you're gods. But there are many passages which describe something similar. We know that after the death of resurrection of Christ, Christians are spoken of as a new creation in many places. Christians after Pentecost are described as being born again, filled with God's Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell within them, becoming really part of who we are. Christians are in Christ is a phrase that's often used, in fact, some 100 times in the New Testament that we're being transformed into Christ, who is considered God. For example, Galatians 3.26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I think these passages then are captured in this idea of theosis. Theosis is just a transliteration of a Greek word from the root theos, meaning God, attached to the idea of being made like God, being made God. And the Eastern churches still use this understanding. They might also talk about deification or divinization. But in the early church, this was the common way of talking about salvation. So the church fathers, maybe they use a lot of terms, you know, to explain that what is salvation? Well, it's 
union with God. It's participation in God. It's partaking of God. It's an interpenetration with God. It's transmutation. It's a reintegration into God. And divinization or theosis, just gets at this, implies that we're intertwined with Christ. That we've been, as in the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's an influx of the divine. There's an attainment of similitude with God. So our union with God can be pictured, you know, this is the way Paul pictures it, as a marriage between a man and a woman. That the two become one and yet they remain separate identities. Or it can be likened to grains of wheat, you know, that make a loaf of bread. Or that the New Testament illustration of yeast in a lump of dough, working through every segment of it. In the early church, the first recorded definition Dionysius the Areopagite he says deification or theosis is the attaining of likeness to God and union with him as far as possible he says we're being made partakers of God's own nature by the energetic presence of Christ and the spirit within us transforming us he says into replicas of God and actually bearing something of the being of God within ourselves. And so theosis describes the fulfilling of divine purposes in creating and redeeming and expression of the calling to transformation or that God might be all in all. In Philippians, it's described as kenotic self-giving. You know, God emptied out himself. This kind of cruciform character of God we enter in then and we also then participate in this cruciform identity. We talked last week, we're created in the image and likeness of God. And so we might see theosis as the completion of that creation event, especially after the fall. And that's the way the New Testament describes Christ, that he is the true image of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Hebrews 1.3. And so in these verses, the Greek word that is used, image, icon. In the Eastern Church, they have icons. that There's an image upon it. But of course, Christ is the true icon of God, and we're all to be icons of God. The other is the, the word for radiance or reflection. He is the very reflection of God, or the very imprint. And the idea is that Jesus Christ, in his identity, in his nature, displays the image of God, and we then are to take up that image. This is certainly there in John no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who has made him known. John also in 14.9 says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so Christians are transformed into the image of Christ. It means that we're transformed into the image of God, right? Ignatius of Antioch. This is 35 AD to about 108, very early. In his letters, he says, Christians are God-bearers. He says, we're God-runners. We're participants in God. 
He even says we are holy God. That is we're transformed into the image of God. We're full of God. In against heresies, this is Irenaeus, a little bit later, he says, following the only true and steadfast teacher, the word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did through his transcendent love become what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. He became man that we might become God. Jesus has also poured out the Spirit of the Father for the union and communion of God and man. He's imparted indeed God to Ben by means of the Spirit. I think maybe the most developed understanding of theosis actually comes in the 7th century. It's a man named Maximus the Confessor. Maximus actually worked for the emperor. And then he becomes a Christian and he becomes a monk. But he provides an unparalleled explanation for Jesus' quotation of the psalm in 82.6 that says, you are gods. Maximus, you know, that's interesting. He uses Greek philosophy and he's trained in Greek philosophy. But in the end, he says, this doesn't go far enough. And so he makes constant appeal to the incarnation saying, it's only in Christ that we have this fullness of understanding. This is the strange thing in the church east and west. You know, the church in the east is the Greek church. You would think, oh, that would be the church that was most caught up in a kind of philosophical understanding. And then the Latin church, or the church of the west, but actually it's just the opposite. But of course, it's not that the Greek church isn't using Greek thought. You know, he's spelling this out and he's saying, here's what you have in Plato and Aristotle, but this doesn't go far enough that in Christ, we actually see God. As Peter says, we are made partakers. Jesus says of himself, I am the son of God. And of course, the implication is, I'm making you all sons of God. The word that Maximus will use, he actually takes the illustration. You know, when Paul says that I was caught up into the third heaven, he says this may be an illustration of this thing, this process. Had Paul been able to express the experience gained from the third heaven and his progress or ascent or assumption, maybe it's something like theosis. And Maximus takes the word, the word assumption, he says, may best get at this idea. It's a kind of passive term. Not something that the apostle, he couldn't do this on his own, but it was something that he experienced. And so assumption takes into account the kind of passive equality. We can't accomplish this, it's true, apart from Christ. For it is not by nature or condition, Maximus says, that he has become and is called God, but he has become God and is so named by grace. That is God's gift to us, is to incorporate us into who he is. But nonetheless, it does involve our action or our activity. Paul transcended his human nature and set aside, though, in the process, his former nature. Karl Barth describes a very similar idea. God is the revealer, Christ the revelation and that the Holy Spirit is the revealedness. It's not that it doesn't relate to other experiences, 
But God is the one who reveals. He's the content of the revelation. And he is the means of revelation being received. Now I think what Bart misses and what Maximus gets and what the early church saw. Bart doesn't take into account the link between redemption and creation. Divinization or theosis. It not only conditions revelation and redemption, but I think this describes creation's logic and purpose. Now this may be a kind of odd idea, but you know, when we think about the resurrection of Christ, isn't that the point in which creation's entire purpose is meant? Here is what all things were created for. You know, we talk about in John 1.1, that in the beginning was the word. What word? Well, it's the word of Jesus. It's the word of the gospel. The gospel serves as creation's center and purpose. It's owing to him that all things exist and remain in existence, Maximus says. And it is from him that all things came to be in a certain way. And so the logos which stands behind creation's purpose wills always and all things to accomplish the mystery of his embodiment. Let me say that again. This is Maximus, but he's describing all of creation. The Logos of God wills always and in all things to accomplish the mystery of his embodiment. God has come to man in Christ, but this is the story of all of creation. His embodiment is the abiding reason and explanation to be found throughout the created order. Now the word here that Maximus uses, it's actually there in Peter. It's the same word, you know, participation or partake. This is a very different kind of participation. It's a good Greek philosophical term. You know, it's there in Plato and Aristotle. But when we see it in Peter, this participation, it takes on a different meaning. And the danger is, I'm afraid, I think that we can you know, use philosophy to illustrate, but I think that when we enter into the gospel, we've entered into a specific and unique logic of the incarnation. That is, the world creation does not account for itself. We can't explain it. can't explain the natural world without appeal to the supernatural. And I think what's being described in scripture the supernatural undergirds the natural. Maximus says this, that natural explanation has its relation to re relative objects of thought, but he says ultimately we run out of things to think about. That is, the explanation comes to its end. Natural thought does not arrive at God through some natural given. Only God himself provides the condition or the experience for knowing him. That's what's happened in Christ. And so God is not an object of knowledge or predication that is grasped like other objects of knowledge. But he's grasped according to a simple union, unconditioned and beyond all thought. He is knowing. He is the effect of knowing. What I'm describing is that our knowing Christ is the experience of God. That we're having a first order experience and encounter with divinity. And that as we know Christ and are transformed into the image of Christ, that we take on the likeness. This is theosis. This is divinization. 
Maybe we could put it this way, that the beginning and end of human beings consists of this cultivation of God-likeness. We're created in the image of God, but we're brought to that fullness only in Christ. But the whole world then becomes iconic for who Christ is as we begin to see the processes of nature in light of who Christ is. The origin and end cohere in the word that is Christ, who is the Christological understanding of all things. And so having completed his course, we could say that such a person becomes God, receiving from God to be God, to the beautiful nature inherent in the fact that he is God's image. He freely chooses to add, and the, a lot of the early church fathers, you know, it says in the beginning that man was created in his image and his likeness. Image is a given fact. Likeness is we grow in that likeness. And the idea is that we add on to that likeness. We're growing into that likeness. We're created in the divine image, but man returns to the origin by adding the likeness through our own life course, through our own choices. And so we can call this a kind of natural movement, but it's a natural movement that makes sense in the supernatural. That man owes his existence directly to God, which can be said to be a portion of God. You know, that we exist, we live and move and have our being in him. Man owes, we owe our existence to God, to the Logos. He owes this goodness to the goodness of God. He is a portion of God. Maximus describes this in terms of a true the, the word here is ipseity, or that is when we come to unity within ourselves. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do. I'm not at unity. I'm not in unity with myself. In this life, he has already become one with himself and immovable, owing to a state of supreme impassibility. That is, we arrive at a kind of permanence in the life here and in the life to come, in that we are continually entering into divinization or theosis, that we will love and cleave affectionately to God himself, the logic of all things that are held together. Let me conclude then, as Peter describes it, this godlike status. First of all, it's not an innate nature that we can you know, just turn to something within ourselves, but it's a participation in the divine nature. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers, Peter says, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. This is theosis. This is divinization. This is deification. I think it's a neat way to describe salvation. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares 
or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.